0: You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 271. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your every day. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much as always for listening. Today's episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. FreshBooks is one of my very, very favorite apps for our business. It's bookkeeping software for creatives and business owners that need to keep track of their expenses, their invoicing, and all those other bookkeeping needs but don't want to hate using the program that they're using. I myself years ago hated the program I used and therefore I hated bookkeeping. Now I really don't mind bookkeeping at all. There's literally no resistance and I really do accredit that to the fact that I'm using FreshBooks. They make it so easy to use, so user-friendly with the app and the desktop website as well. There's invoicing for all of the things you might need. I love it for the sponsors, for example, and also it's easy to use with my team and bookkeeper. If you wanna try this yourself and see if you love it as well, you can go over to freshbooks.com lively. That's gonna give you a free 30-day trial. Try it for a month and see if you like it as much as I do. Again, that's freshbooks.com lively. Now for where I am, of course, still here in Sydney, and I am still working on that new secret project I've been hinting at. We've actually pre-released a little bit of information to the Flow With Intention online community, and I'll be sharing what I think will be happening next week here live on the show. I'm so excited to share what I've been cooking up. It was something that was inspired, or I received the idea for, Back in December, it literally hit me like a ton of bricks, and no, it wasn't that heavy, but it was really a powerful realization and actually has put me on a trajectory to do something that I believe has the potential to be the most impactful thing I have ever yet worked on and seeing the flow and literally the magic of how this is coming together, I can tell that the universe is conspiring with me to make this a reality, because the people that are involved in the team that's being created for it are truly some of the most highly aligned and energized and positive energy people I have ever met in the world, and they're so excited and also equally engaged in it. It's just so exciting, and I'm excited to tell you more about how it's been evolving like I said, hopefully next week so you'll be able to see if it's something you want to be a part of as well. Now let's move on. Today's episode is a very cool one because this is again kind of based on the money mindset side of Law of Attraction. We touched a bit on it last week with Brooke Castillo, but in this episode, we're going to go deep on it with someone who started with nothing because even when I did my Colleen Cavanaugh episode where I coached her One of the realizations in that coaching session was that she didn't actually have the abundance story and the lack that she was telling herself she had. So people then emailed me and said, Jess, it's so great that she didn't have that and she was able to see that, but what about those that do have an abundance lack? What if there are people that literally do more dramatically in their actual bank account at this moment in time have a lack, have a need, a true need for Money. What do we do then? Well, this episode is a way for me to respond to that, not only from a perspective of someone that has been there, but is also no longer there, that has moved beyond that. So I wanted to share someone's real life experience and the practical steps. And that's where Denise Duffield Thomas comes in and, and I welcome her on the show. Denise is a money mindset mentor, and she started with nothing. She's the author of Lucky Bitch: A Guide for Exceptional Women to Create Outrageous Success. And she also also is the founder of luckybitch.com. Don't let the word bitch throw you off too much. This is not someone who's super, I think, like intense in terms of her language, but just happens to be the term she uses for her book in sight. I met her at the Soulpreneurs Conference and loved her presentation and her energy. She just was someone who was so fun and easy to connect with and listen to and so authentic in her own energy and who she was. And also she has this story about money that I literally knew I needed to have here on the show. I just wanted you guys to hear this story about the money hitting her windshield. So we'll get to that later in the episode, but we're going to first start off talking about how she started with nothing and manifested a trip around the world for six months with a very specific number of money in mind to spend as well. She wanted 3,000 pounds of spending money in six months of traveling the world. She literally found after creating that in her quote unquote Abraham vortex, she literally manifested that, which I thought, was so specific and so interesting for so many people that have loved the lively adventure I was on that the idea of being able to manifest that for yourself without having to pay for it. How did she do that? We're gonna talk about the exact steps and then we're gonna talk about how she then took her awareness of law of attraction and how to use it deliberately to create amazing financial success in her career, which is ongoing. So not just a once in a lifetime opportunity like the trip, but also how to do it on a consistent daily basis with her career and like I said, there's a moment where she talks about cash hitting her windshield while she's driving, which to me is one of the most outrageous, fun manifestations I've ever heard when it comes to money. Let's go to the show. Denise, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
1: I am stoked. I've listened to your show on and off for a little while and met in person randomly, law of attraction wise. And so I'm stoked to be here.
0: I know. When I heard you speak at our Soulpreneurs event in Brisbane the other weekend, I loved one of the stories so much. I was like, God, I need to get you on the show to tell this story. But for now, before we get to that amazing moment in your life that I find was like one of the most magical manifestation moments I've ever heard, I'd love to start by sharing how you got to where you are.
1: Yes. Well, I grew up like small town in Australia pretty normal kind of upbringing for Australia kind of standards. But I was always a really big reader. I loved reading books. And when I was about 14, I was in my favorite little secondhand bookstore and I found this book called The Magic of Believing. I don't know if you've ever read that one.
0: Yes, I think so. I got really into the 1910s and 20s era of law of attraction, but I can't remember that one specifically among the many others. But yes, I do remember it.
1: They never say the words law of attraction. And it's kind of about Here's how you can be more successful as a salesman using these mindset kind of things. But it is totally law of attraction based. And I read that and it was kind of the first time that I realized that you could use your mind to create something different in your life. So then at 14, I started reading any book I could find about goal setting or and I couldn't find that many, to be honest, because I just wasn't in that space yet. And then, you know, I'd always been watching Oprah and Oprah kind of had shows about goal setting and just things to expand my mind. So I always knew that I wanted to kind of do something to help people. But of course, I didn't have the language for it. I didn't know what a life coach was. And even the work that we do now didn't even exist, you know, back then. But I just knew I wanted to help people. So same in my 20s. I was I tried lots of different businesses and I was just always looking for something different to do. I just, again, didn't know what that was. And it wasn't until I discovered the kind of world of coaching and this woo-woo world almost of women and men who are learning about the law of attraction and doing different things in their lives that that's when I decided that's the path I wanted to go down. And I lived in London for about 10 years. I'm back in Australia now and I help people with their money mindset.
0: Now, how did you settle on money as the focus? Well, I was started out as a very generic life coach. So it was like, I
1: will help you with anything. And you know, I had the most random clients. It was an internal calling. I had been working on my own money stuff because I was recognizing that even though I was very motivated, I was always a very motivated person, I was blocking money somehow. So I was doing that work on myself and then I felt this real internal calling to do it. And I rejected the calling. <laughs> I was like, no no, this is not what I want to do. Because I thought that
0: I had to be Susie
1: Orman or it didn't count.
0: What does that mean to you? Okay. The ego says I have to be Susie Orman or it doesn't count. What does Susie Orman represent to your ego? I
1: think I was like, I need to go back to university and maybe I need to be a financial advisor. I need another certificate. I need to have more credibility because I didn't think that my brand of talking about money, which to me is purely mindset based. It's not financial advice at all. I just didn't think that counted and it didn't feel official enough.
0: Yeah. It's like the certifications kind of sometimes seem like a permission slip. Definitely. And it can be such an
1: ongoing one for so many women. They just collect certificates. I call it procrastinate learning. It's like, I'll feel ready when I get another one. So for me, I felt it so strongly, but yet I rejected it so strongly. And um, and I was like, no, universe, no, find someone else. I don't want to be a money girl. no. And then finally, I remember it just wasn't going away. And I said, all right, universe, I'll do this, but you have to make it really easy for me. And you have to show me lots of positive signposts along the way. You know, it can't be a struggle for me to do this. Otherwise, I'm not going to do it.
0: Oh my gosh, that's so funny! You say that. That is exactly the way I feel about this big project called T School I'm working on right now. Like, literally, it's exactly what I've said. It's like, all right. I'll do it as long as it feels fun. And if it starts to feel stressful, I'm out. <laughs> like, I'll do it as long as this is enhancing my life. And that's kind of what you did as well. Yeah, I
1: did. And it was like, you got to send me the people. You got to send me the resources. Not to say it was like all smooth sailing because no business is, but. I was very clear that I'll only take this role on and I don't think, oh my God, I'm the only person teaching money in the world. But I was like, I just don't even want to go into this area if it's going to be too hard.
0: Do you think that that actually making those statements and making that the the litmus test or the way that you were only willing to feel about this, do you think that that influenced how the actual pieces fell into place?
1: Yeah, I do. Because I was really clear on it. I was just happy being a, a life coach and I could have probably niched a little bit better. And I was happy doing that. So for me, I was like, where there's this money thing? I, you know, It wouldn't go away for sure, but I wasn't going to make it my thing necessarily.
0: Then how did you know and did the pieces fall into place? Yeah, they did. So I, I was like, I'm just going to
1: run one money course, just one. And I did it and I was like, oh, that was actually really great. You know, that was really fun. I'll run it again. So I ran it about three times and then I was like, this is really cool. And then I made it into an evergreen program because I hate launching. And I was, again, I was like, universe, I hate launching. Help me make this an evergreen. And, I mean, I've been running that program now for five years. We've had 4,000 women go through it. So I think it was because I didn't pressure myself. I was like, I'll just do it once and get it out of my system.
0: Yeah, this makes total sense. And I think this might sound strange for people listening to go, you can really say like, I don't even need to do this universe. (laughs) I'm only willing to do this. And then things go well, because so many people, I think, tell the story of, I'm willing to do anything it takes to make this successful, right? I hear that a lot in a lot of stories of successful people. I was willing to do whatever it takes, no matter what the odds are. And the story you just told was actually kind of the opposite of that. It's like, I'm only willing to do this if it flows, essentially. I prefer it that way.
1: I'm not the sort of person, I think, that fights against obstacles too much. But then on the other side of it, I do see people give up a bit too quickly with very normal obstacles. So it's almost like you've got to decide what is a rite of passage as an entrepreneur. Like, for example, getting your first refund request. That is not a sign from the universe not to do it because that's just inevitable as being in business.
0: Yeah. That was a moment I remember having years ago that was really... Challenging at the time, especially with my consciousness at the time, it felt so personal, which it obviously isn't. Usually they just don't have enough time to finish the course. It's not like they uh, necessarily are hating the individual who created the course or they're hating the content. But how did you get through that passage yourself?
1: Well, I've always been really good at surrounding myself with other entrepreneurs who are at my level and a little bit ahead. So hearing that from other people, honey, this is a statistical inevitability that you are going to get refunds. You know, like, it's just going to happen. You can't avoid it. But what we do, we kind of say, universe, I want Oprah-level fame, but I don't want any haters. I want to have a really successful course, but I don't want any unsubscribes or refunds. And it's like, you can't have both. Like, you're setting up this impossible task for the universe. So in that case, you've just got to really be mindful. Are you making up stories about really normal rites of passage as an excuse to not do your thing? I'm not talking about those two kind of challenges. Or is it actually, you know, the universe saying, no, this isn't for you? And you've got to know the difference.
0: Absolutely. For me, when I was in the moment, I remember very clearly, this is just a random story about the refunds. I've never told this, I don't think, on the show. But this was years ago. It was during Life with Intention, and I had a two-week window where there's like a refund through half the class. And the day that I was, I guess the 14-day moment, I guess, or marker of that class, it must have been, or whenever that marker hit, we were getting some refunds, and I had a new assistant at the time. So I was out in Santa Barbara with my partner at the time, and we're doing this gorgeous, gorgeous hike. And I'm on this beautiful Mountaintop, looking over all these beautiful vistas in Santa Barbara, and then I get this email, and I don't even know why I was on my, f- I, you know, checked my phone during this moment. Which, looking back on it, would have been better to have not checked. But I got an email asking about questions with the refunds because she had never dealt with them before. So I think there was three or four, which is really not that big a deal, especially with the number of people that had signed. Totally normal, right? Nothing out of the blue. But I felt each one of those to me at that time, to my little ego, it just felt so devastating. And there I was on this gorgeous walk while feeling devastated. And I was like, "Wait, wait, wait. I was super happy and feeling this wonderful experience, and now I feel terrible and in the pits, but it's really still beautiful out." So it's like, "I want to find a way to have peace about this." And I got very clear that I didn't want to feel the rest of the hike that was so gorgeous that terrible feeling. So I asked my intuition, Joe, whatever you want to call it, how I should see the situation. You know, how could I stay with peace and it said, "Let them be where they want to be." And honestly, that answer let people be where they want to be which like so if they want to be in the class let them be there if they don't want to be in the class let them leave it's literally now also now played out with dating for me too like let people be where they want to be if they want to be with you great if they don't want to be with you great like if you want to be with them great if you don't great like letting people be where they want to be is one of the most amazingly freeing experiences i found in so many different areas of life now
1: wow i really like that i kind of am the same with with like haters and stuff You know, like, I just don't see it, you know, and it's like, that's okay. Like, I hate stuff too. That's all right for you. (laughs) Like, it's okay for you to hate. Like, I don't take it personally because I hate heaps of stuff. But on the flip side of that, I actually don't even, like, my assistants don't forward me, like, the love mail either because I'm like, well, if the hate stuff's not real, well, then, like, the rabid fangirl love mail isn't real either. I just want to stay in my equilibrium and not be swayed either way.
0: Yeah, not be too attached. That's a really amazing, but also probably a little counterintuitive thing to hear someone say. I'm not reading the hate mail, but I'm also not reading the fan, the rabid fan mail. Such an interesting thing because most people wouldn't. And I feel very much like you, like I don't read either either.
1: I think it depends on what you need, because words of affirmation is not my love language. So I don't need it. And so I just prefer just to be in my own little bubble where, like, I just work on liking myself and whether people love me or hate me because otherwise you're like, they love me, they hate me, they love me, they hate me. And if you're just going your life by how many hate mail versus love mails you get, it's – you're just being swayed by it all the time so I mean what you could do is you could get your assistant to put you know all your love stuff and if you're having a bad day then read it or something like that but for me the words of affirmation stuff is not important at all
0: yes okay so now let's move on to law of attraction and how you've used it in your life so once you found it at 14 super exciting that you found it so young how did you apply it to your life before getting to the money stuff with other people
1: Well, I was a big fan of doing dream boards and things like that for a long time, but I would say that most of my 20s, I didn't really see that much results from it because I couldn't figure out how to do it, which sounds really weird, but I know you're a very practically minded person like myself. So I was like, okay, this is great, but I don't know what to do. Like, do I have to meditate a lot? Do I have to like you know, just think positive thoughts all day long. And I just couldn't figure out the mechanics of it, of how to be sustainable and still live your life. So for me, the big turnaround happened when I set a massive intention to go traveling with my partner, who was my fiance or husband at the time, really, really close. And I went, you know what, I'm going to do everything I've ever heard of from every law of attraction book and put it into practice. And I'm talking like the affirmations, the dream boards, the journaling, the speaking aloud, acting as if, like everything. So I put this poster on my wall and it was Mark and I go traveling for six months free because I was like, I don't have any money. So I'm going to find some way to do it for free. And we need £3,000 a month spending money.
0: That's a lot of money. It was a lot, right? And to travel on top of that for free. I love that. I know, but that's the thing. I was like, just ask
1: for what it is that you want. And I'd done a few little things like that where I was like, oh, I am going to have you know, a 20-minute commute, things that I just thought would were impossible that I somehow found a job that was like a five-minute commute. So I was like, I'm just going to – all the books say ask for what you want, not what you think you can get. So I was like, I'll do that. And literally, like, it was a couple of months of telling people we were going travelling, you know, doing dream boards about it, journaling about it, all the things, right, that a friend of mine texted me and she goes, you've got to apply for this competition. It's for a couple to go travelling around the world for six months, all expenses paid. And the salary was 3,000 pounds a month. Whoa. And so Mark came home and I was like, oh my God, I found this thing. We're going to win this competition and it's, we're totally manifesting this and it's all going to happen. And he was like, okay, let's do it. And it was a whole process and I talk about it in my book, Lucky Bitch, but we had to apply for it. So it wasn't, we just got picked out of a hat. We had to, you know, be shortlisted and selected and interviewed and all this kind of stuff. But in the process of it, again, I used every law of attraction trick I'd ever, ever heard of as well as doing all the work, you know, because it's not like I just sat there and dreamt about it and got excited about it. I used that certainty that we were going to win to do the scary things like calling up the editor of a local newspaper to get some press for us, which, of, of course, impressed the judges. So that was probably the biggest biggest, biggest thing that I was just like, this is real. I can do this. And the point of the story isn't about winning competitions, by the way, because a few people then contact me and go, how can I win this competition? And it was like, it wasn't even about the competition,
0: Wait, can I stop you right there? Just a funny aside. Okay, so in my class, Flow with the dungeon Online, we have this woman in it. She said in the call, she's such a fun person. She's been on a few times in the, one of the coaching calls. She said, you know, she has a, had some up and downs with money and her business, but she goes, one thing she has a no resistance to is winning things. And she said this so matter of factly in the call, she goes, we're a family that wins things. And like she and her family like literally believe that with the certainty of we're a family that wins things and they do win things. So she was telling us this, and I, after that call on a Valentine's Day, randomly stumbled into like an Instagram story from one of the activewear companies here in Australia called Nimble, and they had a competition for, or not only competition, it just said the first person that direct messages to this address would get a yoga class on Valentine's Day. And it was a yin yoga class, which is my favorite kind of yoga. So I was like, well, right after she said, we're a family that wins things, I was like, well, with that certainty, I wonder if I, you know, I never even usually try to win things usually because I just think I probably won't. So after that call, I did it and I did win it. And then I share that in the class later and other people started, you know, joking. And now we're all a class that wins things. But how funny is it that certainty that you can have about winning things, even not just like manifesting money, but actually winning.
1: Oh, Exactly. But the, you know what the funny thing is, there's a little bit more to that story because actually it wasn't just that post-it that I was putting out to the universe. I was also saying to the universe, I'm ready to change my life. You know, like you send me an idea for a book, send me an idea for a business. And so whether or not it was the traveling intention or the change my life intention, but it was like the competition got swept up in my overall intention to both change my life and, you know, go traveling. It wasn't even necessarily about the competition in a way.
0: Well, here's a question. Calling in the reporting to get the press. Now, here's a question about that. Did a lot of this work, we'll say you don't even have to take action unless it's inspired and it feels fun right did you feel like it was an inspired action did you feel like that was efforting at the time
1: it was scary it was out of my comfort zone but it did feel like inspired action because my definition of inspired action is, is stuff that moves you closer to your dream it's not the bullshit stuff like oh i'll just like find the perfect color for my website background like that's not an action that anyone needs to take so i'm like what's an action that will make a big show that I am ready like meeting the universe halfway that's how I always see inspired action and so that was like so out of my comfort zone but we needed to do things like that to impress the judges to you know show them that we were keen being I wouldn't say it was super flow but it was it felt like an important action to take
0: even though the ego might have been a little bit scared it wasn't like your intuition would say no don't call up the (laughs) the newspaper
1: no it was like meet me halfway. You know, and that's what I love doing with my Inspired Action stuff. I'm always like, okay, what can I do to show the universe I'm really super serious about this? And one of the things we did when we were shortlisted down to 10, so this was like a multi-month process, is we started renting out our apartment. We have to show the universe we're so serious about this that we're willing to move. Like we ha- we quit our jobs. when we When we were shortlisted into the top 10, we gave notice at our jobs because I was like, I have to do something to just be ready and not have any, like not go into the final weekend with any energetic clutter. And I know because it was a very short turnaround actually. They were going to announce the winners and then you had to leave like 10 days later. And I know that most of the people there, there was 10 couples at the finale, which was in person, Most of them were sitting there stressing about their jobs, what to do with their pets, what to do with their apartments, all that stuff. We had sorted all of that out. And that, to me, is inspired action, moving forward with absolute
0: faith. I have huge goosebumps all over my body right now. So when you're sitting there, were they making the decision in that moment where all these people have energy that's of stress and you guys are an energy that's clear?
1: Yes. And so this is the best thing was we created an anchor, like an audio anchor between the two of us where we would just say, they're going to call our names and they're going to say Mark and Denise, Mark and Denise. And it was a whole weekend that we had to spend with everybody. And just before they announced the winners, I leaned over to Mark and I said, you thank the judges, I'll thank the venue. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And then like 10 seconds later, they said, you know, and the winners are Mark and Denise. And so up until the last second, like we had that certainty. But I know that so many of them would have been sitting there going, you know, one couple had just been offered their dream job, you know, like one was worried about, you know, their apartment. And we were clear by that stage.
0: I love this. Okay. So what would have happened if it hadn't happened when they called and they said it's Julia and Ryan?
1: I was so willing to go traveling. That I was totally happy to do it no matter what. So I really think we would have spent about five minutes like being a bit sad and then just going, what's plan B? Like, because we're going to move out of our apartment. Like we're move- we're, we're going somewhere. <laughs> so for me, it was, it wasn't the competition. I was looking beyond the competition, if that makes sense. And so I feel like the competition and the judges almost got swept up in it because I was just looking beyond it.
0: Did they know you did all of that too? Did they know that you quit the job and that you uh, hired out your place and everything?
1: I can't remember if we told them all the details because we didn't want to be too psycho. But I think we're just like, we're ready. Like, we're ready to go.
0: And actually, I can also connect to this from my early days as an entrepreneur just to share that kind of, well, you. It's in a way, there's no plan B in that the plan is travel, right? So one of the options for that travel is this competition but there's another option for that plan a as well There was this moment where i was having a panic attack in my then college boyfriend or whatever like post-college boyfriend's apartment thinking and stressing about cash flow because i didn't understand it at the time and was like i don't have enough money right now to pay the bills that are due at the end of the month and of course like cash flow it all works out but i didn't know that at the time i was so fresh to business on my own i'd never had a full-time job so I was just a few months in after college supporting myself. And there was this moment where I was stressing out about the panic attack. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have health insurance in America that's self-employed, which is really crappy. And I'm sitting here feeling a 50-year-old man that's about to have a heart attack right now. And there was this recognition at one point of it that as I'm in this whole like ball of stress thinking about this heart attack or whatever was going on, that I wasn't thinking about getting a day job. That wasn't a sign for me to go get a job. I was sitting there stressing about my health insurance options as a self-employed person. And weird enough as that sounds, it was the realization that this was going to happen because I wasn't going to stop like even a heart attack couldn't have stopped me. Like there wasn't this ego that was kind of like looking for the out and looking for an excuse not to do it. It was literally in the stress of like, I'm not going back to this hat. And then in that recognition, I realized, just like you did, like if they didn't call your name, you were still going, right? I feel like if this, whatever I was working on at the time, jewelry or whatever, wasn't gonna work, it had to at some point work out some way because I knew that if I never stopped, it would have to work out because I can't do it forever and not have it something work out.
1: Exactly. And you know what, one of the things that we did, the very first thing we did, we blocked it out in our calendar. And so many people don't even do that because it's like this commitment or they're like, but what if it doesn't happen? It's like, it's literally free to put this in your calendar. And when I did that, when I created space for it, I started to look at the six months and I went, oh my God, there's someone's wedding. I actually called her and said, I can't go to your wedding. Like I'm going to, I'm going to decline your RSVP. She's like, why? And I said, I'm going travelling. And people would say, oh, you're going to come to this conference. And instead of going, maybe if I win this conference, I was like, no, I'm not. And so things like that, you know, if we didn't win it, I could have gone back to my friend and gone, oh, can we please go to your wedding? But it's like people don't want to do that up front, even though it costs them really nothing to do that because it feels too much, I don't know, like arrogance or – You just don't want to commit like that. But that's all free stuff. So if you can't even bring yourself to commit to putting it in your calendar – do you really believe that you're going on that thing or achieving that goal?
0: We also have to be careful though. What you and I both talked about can also backfire for people if it creates a lot of resistance for them, right? So we had to be careful because I could easily, and I deal with this with a lot with flow with intention people that are trying to manifest certain things or myself sometimes. I want to hear your thoughts on this. Sometimes I'm really, really becoming, as I become aware of this, our beta conscious brains, the beta wave, like we just love to go, okay, if I can visualize, I can think this way, and I can promote this way, then I'll get it, right? And we can overthink it sometimes to the point where there's resistance to it. And literally now, for example, I was doing body visualization for a long time, and I've realized the power has been in not necessarily overly focusing on that. But now, like, it's been picked. I've selected it. The universe knows what I want. My body is very clear on what it is. And now it's about trying less because in the effort, I was actually creating resistance. And so what do you think the difference is? Because you could have someone else do everything you just just did to win that competition, but the resistance would have been there where it wasn't for you. What do you think the difference in those two vibrations are? I think it's detachment. And
1: it's really being clear that whatever happens, I deeply and completely love and accept myself. That's where I practice all the time where I was talking about my equilibrium. It's like, if I didn't win it, it wouldn't have changed how I felt about myself. And that's I guess that's the paradox of it is you kind of, you know, they always say law of attraction is you receive what you already have and who you already are. But it's like, how do you then attract something that you actually don't have? So the way that I do that is just to try and get into love and acceptance no matter what because then if it comes, it's awesome. If it doesn't, it doesn't change the way I feel about my deservingness as a human being for good things to happen. And then it creates space then for another avenue to bring that in. But I never want to be, again, like they, they love me, they hate me. I don't want to be like that with my manifestations either. Like, oh, I'm good. I'm bad. Oh, I'm deserving. I'm undeserving. I just try and keep my equilibrium. And that's actually the, the state that you need to be in
0: to receive things, which is kind of nice. Exactly, that non-resistance. I've actually found a lot of power lately in things by saying, screw it, F it. Like, Like I have, you know, my beta brain has tried its way into actual resistance. And the way of doing it is dropping the subject like a hot potato. And it's not obviously the highest frequency. But if you're at this place of frustration and like this resistance is too hard, sometimes lessening the resistance can feel like frustration or getting sick of the subject altogether and just saying, you know what? Screw it. I'm refusing to emote, to have any emotion about this subject any longer because all I've actually done is activate the negative or the lack of this subject in my life. And I've sat here saying how happy I'll be later. Well, will just say, you know what? It's not worth it. It's not worth being emotional about this subject because I'm up when it's up, I'm down when it's down, and I'm not able to just stay focused on the positive. So, if I take all of my emotion out of that subject altogether and I place it on other things, and I literally just say, none of it's worth it, that's the unconditional alignment that brings it in. And I've watched it in my life and all these little areas that I had this resistance to and watching the pieces fall into place. Because it's not like when I say that I'm canceling out the order to the universe. All I'm doing is stopping my own struggle and effort in the situation. So I'm dropping that, and I'm dropping the emotional attachment. Therefore the energy is flowing smoother and uninterrupted, but it does doesn't mean that I don't still want that. It's just that I'm no longer focused on it, fixated on it or emoting on it.
1: Yes. I think it's that energy of desperation, you know, and whether that's in dating, we know that if you're in that desperate energy, it's such a turn off. (laughs) And, you know, you know, if any other place in your life, if you're desperate for a job, that's when you don't get the jobs. And then if you're feeling cool about it, you get like five different competing job offers all at the same time. So yeah, I totally agree with you.
0: Okay, so now let's talk about how you've applied this to helping people with money because that's something that a lot of people are thinking about right now.
1: It is. So for me, I had this massive epiphany because we did the six months all expenses paid travel thing, which was amazing. And it wasn't even just that. Around that same time that I won that, I I got a scholarship for a life coaching course. I won lucky door prizes. Like I just won all
0: this stuff. You're a family that wins.
1: (laughs) Yes, I was in the zone of winning, right? But at the end of the competition, I slept on my mom's couch for a couple of weeks because we didn't have a house to live in anymore, and we had to decide where we wanted to live. And Mark went back to the UK to fix some stuff up, and um, I stayed on my mom's couch. And I remember thinking, holy crap, I have no money. And I was like, I've been given all this stuff for free I just spent six months living in really amazing hotels, but I I have no cash. And it was just this big realization that you can choose to be lucky and get things for free, or maybe I should start manifesting some actual money that I could spend on things that I like. Because when you can be totally lucky, but have you noticed sometimes when you start winning things, it's not always things that you really necessarily want, Um, And I've been saying to people lately, I'm like, you know what the easiest way to manifest something is? Buy it.
0: I actually recently had someone say, you know, buying things, does that really flow? And I was like, well, it depends on how much you're willing to make your life about alignment and flow. I would say yes.
1: I would say yes too, because to me, manifesting isn't just the magic part of it. Manifesting is making something real. Like that's one of the definitions of it is to manifest it, to make real. So I'm like, well, buying it counts as well. And it was just that moment of sleeping on my mom's couch going, wow, for all this luck that I have in my life, I actually don't have much choice. I don't have much power. And that's when I made a vow to work on my own money stuff, which I did probably about a year and a half, two years before I even talked about it with anyone else. And then probably like you too, you know, as soon as I learn something, I want to tell someone else about it. I'm always one of those people. I'm just like, oh, I've learned this thing. I need to teach you it too. So that was the wake up call for me. And I actually said to the universe, I was like, universe, thank you so much for taking care of me. I have been like a like a spoiled child in a way. You know, I'm like, this is so beautiful and healing for me how you've taken care of me over this last year. Anything that I've needed, you have provided. However, I'm a big girl now and it's time for me to take control of money so I can buy things myself. So it felt like graduating from being a spoiled child who just got everything for free to kind of a bit of independence of like, okay, help me make my own money so I can be empowered around money now. That was a massive turning point for me. And then as you know, I I started getting the calling to tell other people about it.
0: I can relate to sort of a similar journey, and I think that this is something I've talked with some people that have money blocks that I've had some women in class that I teach that have maybe been a little older, and so they have got married. They, They had careers. They got married. They had children. They spent the next 10, 20 years raising those children, and now they're looking to create more abundance for themselves and their families so that kind of like 40s and 50s age range after being out of the workplace for you know 10 or 20 years and one of the things that i've noticed about it and i've seen really amazing results as they focus on this is i had a shorter pathway to Three stages that I think that they also when they tap into this and you tapped into it just in a different way as well. I think there's three paths or stages of abundance. There's the one where you work for it. You, I felt like a hunter and a gatherer when I was starting out my business. If I was sick, no money was coming in. There was no, you know, if I didn't get up that day and I didn't go earn the money, I wasn't making money. I wasn't paying the bills. It was very motivating, but in a very stressful way. So I knew how to earn money when I needed to from a place of effort, striving, hustle, and grind. And so I made that work that way because that's what I was shown, and that's what I felt or only knew how to do. Then there was a season in my relationship when I was married where I was working on listening to my intuition and what it was telling me to do. And that work took about 14 months to put my first course together, Life with Intention. And I knew enough to not go against my intuition. And as I was still business coaching, I wasn't getting the real work done that my intuition was calling me to. So I put all my chips on the table, if you will. And I went all in on my intuition's guidance, and thankfully I had a partner that supported me in it. And so we figured out that our financial situation, the way we a- accounted for things, I was gonna start putting my income towards the savings long-term, and he would help with the regular expenses based on our salaries. So that was a season where I felt like I had this ability to receive. And I had this huge difficulty with that at first. And I think this is you when you were receiving from the universe, right? For you, it was receiving from the universe. For me, it was my partner's money was paying the bill. So I was receiving through my partner from the universe. And I remember this coach I had at the time as I was making that transition from having to pay the rent every four weeks to not having to have that responsibility on my personal shoulders. She goes, Jess, you know how to do it the other way. You've shown yourself you can grind. You've shown yourself that you can make the money. You know how to do that. That skill is in you. It's not going anywhere. You've done it that way. You know how. This is a new stage for you, spiritually and evolutionarily, to receive and to do so in an empowered way. And when she said that, it really clicked for me. So I received in a very appreciative and empowered way. I didn't feel less than. I felt empowered and and appreciative of that flow at that time. And as we ended the relationship, relationship I then had to learn because I didn't know we were ending at the time but there was this transition to starting to pay for a big home renovation we were making and I had a timeline and a a big number of uh, like $60,000 Sixty or $70,000 that we needed by a certain amount of time. So then after having this beautiful cocoon of receiving and being able to really do the deep work it took and the time it took to do that, then it was transitioning not to the hustle and grind mentality and not just to the receiving, but that empowered receiving to be able to also receive in an empowered way where I had choice, flexibility, and freedom. And I think for me, it was imperative that I had the season of receiving from like you said, the universe was providing for you. For me, it was through the version or vehicle of my husband's salary. But that ability to receive from that energetic place was essential for me to not have to strive and grind when I was earning in the future. Did you find that that played into your situation too, when you went from receiving everything to finding a way to earn it, but through similar... I
1: did the exact same thing as you. So um, after the trip ended, Mark got a job, and I remember him saying, well, "Why don't you just get a job too while you're starting your business?" And I went, "No, this is the time. I've got line in the sand now. I've been doing this on the side and dabbling for a long time. Here's what's going to happen: we're going to live on your salary." I did the exact same thing, but actually, I took it one step further. I said, "Not only are you going to pay for everything, and we, and like we had to cut everything out. You know, it was like no holidays, no cable. Like we're just cutting everything to the bone." And you're actually going to give me an allowance every week.
0: (laughs) Oh, I love that. Do you know how many people that I have in my class that won't take money from their family because they're not earning money? How did you know to do that? Most people don't. They don't give themselves money when they're not earning it.
1: Because I knew that if I was really living in scarcity mode all the time and I felt so bad about even going and spending on a coffee then it was going to restrict my flow in my business. So I said to him, yep, you're going to pay for everything and you're going to give me this amount of money. And, and and there's no questions. And, and I had to really fight with the guilt with it, but that's the thing too, that people don't understand when you're in that situation, you have manifested that situation. So be grateful for it and don't push against it and reject it from the universe, because maybe that's the way the universe is giving you abundance right now because it's the only way you can handle it. And so I was just like, I'm going to receive it rather than live in guilt I'm going to use this opportunity to feel taken care of and I'm going to use the excess energy in my business to make money. And now, like, that's paid off for Mark so much, him doing that, right? Because uh, it, it took a couple of years. But I remember in when it was the Brazil World Cup, which was a couple of years ago, I paid for him to go on that through my business money. And I remember him going, wow, this is really cool. And I was like, yeah, but this is the seed that we've been planning for years. And, and it wasn't like he volunteered for that, right? It wasn't like, he was like, oh, let me, he was constantly going, maybe you should just get a little job. And I'm like, no, I'm like, no, this is the space we need. And so sometimes when people, they're like, oh, but Mark's always been supportive. I'm like, he kind of hasn't, like I had to receive it and I had to put the boundaries around it and I had to be okay and not sabotage it.
0: That's really powerful because I also know women that I've coached that have those issues. And ironically, well, some of them I know have had partners that have stressed about the money, so that gives them extra stress because they're feeling it too. And others, they don't actually feel that way, and so they're just creating the stress within themselves. So I like that you stood for your boundaries. That's so interesting. And also, yeah, knowing your, I don't know, Mark's situation with his career now, but knowing your financial stuff from what you've shared at the presentation, things have massively shifted for you. Here's a question. What did you have to remove from your vibration around money to go from just receiving from the universe to now multi-million dollars a year?
1: I had to just be really focused on, this is okay. Why not me? Like, this is okay. Why not me? And almost demystify it because so many times we think, oh God, it's just going to take so much work. And it totally did. But I've always been a really, uh, I've been really good at introspection. And so every time I hit a plateau, I was like, okay, this is a new money block. You know, I got to six figures, I think, in about halfway through my second year. So it took me, you know, I think I did 60K the first year and then like 120 the next year. And each time I would hit a new income plateau and it would feel just as real, just as scary as, you know, any other one. And I would have to go back to basics and I'd go, okay, what's new about this income level? What stories am I making up about this? What mindset lessons do I have to learn here? So I've just always been really good at that. It's not like I know anything different. I'm smarter than anyone else, or I work harder. There's none of that. I've just always been really good at looking at what's the lesson I need to learn at this level. That's it.
0: What are the two biggest lessons you had to learn at two different levels?
1: Okay, so at 120, I remember thinking, like, just feeling really yuck. Like, and I should have been celebrating, right? I was like, this feels actually disgusting in my body, and I needed to figure out why. So I looked around and I asked myself, what's symbolic about this income level? And for me, it was the income level of my uncle. And my uncle has always been, you know, the wealthy one in the family, very generous. I remember he paid for me to come home for my nan's funeral when I had literally no money to come home, just things like that. And so I really got that making more money would have been emasculating to someone I really cared about. So this is why I always say to people, always look at the income level, what's symbolic about it? Because for some people... You know, it might be your parents, you start to earn more than your parents or your husband or your coach or someone in your life, or even just a symbolic income level where you think that's really successful. And now I'm here, I don't feel successful. So it must be wrong. So when I got that about my uncle, that actually cleared me to go to the next level. The next really big one for me was at the 250 mark. And again, I was like, what's wrong? Like I'm making really great money here, you know, 250,000. What I realized is that for me, I've always wanted to make a million dollars. I was like, that's where I want to go. And I was thinking far out. I worked really hard to get here. I'm going to have to work four times harder to get to a million. I don't know if I've got it in me. So that mindset lesson at that point was, it's not about working harder at all. Now I know you actually have to work less to make more.
0: Okay. Explain that. Why do people are going to break their brains right now. Why, why is that true?
1: It's true because you can't do it all yourself. Like you have to leverage the power of other people. You have to leverage the power of passive income. You have to outsource. You have to delegate because you literally can't work four times harder. It doesn't make sense. And in our society up until now, it's been pretty hard to make more money without working harder. It just didn't make sense. Now we have the internet. We have all this online capacity to do it we can take payments 24 7 but it's like our lizard brain hasn't caught up with the fact that we can do that so it feels wrong it's like but that's like some star trek weird mind melding stuff it's not but it feels that way in our bodies so that's why we can't get our heads around it
0: okay so was there any block you had to remove to get past a million let me think
1: no not really it's actually gotten easier two
0: million what about three million
1: Well, so last year we made 3.4 Australian, which is about 3 million American. No, I think everyone says the first million is the hardest (laughs) and it's definitely the truth. But now I'm like, hmm, do I, I think I still have it though because I'm like, oh, do I want to work harder? Do I want a bigger team? So I think that's the thing for me now. I'm like, oh, surely to make 6 million, you've got to have like a massive big team. The feeling's not as strong for me as it was at the lower levels because it's more of a pondering. I'm like huh, I wonder what I need to work on now, but it's not super urgent, if that makes sense.
0: Yes. Actually, for me, I have a really amazing alignment around money because I refuse to emote based on it. Like I said earlier, when I say like screw it to certain things, I refuse to emote. Like my career is one of those things that I in the last few years have just said, screw it, I refuse to emote about it. Like I'm not going to let that be the litmus test of where my emotional set point is. So in that area, I am unrelentingly aligned because I unrelentingly refuse to emote because of it, right? You said you don't listen to the hate or the love mail, right? I kind of do that in that way. So I was like, man, this is the strongest area I have is abundance in a career. I'm like, well, that's because it's the only area I refuse to go up and down about it. Like I refuse to make that my emotional set point. So it's always stable because it's never conditional to the conditions of the career. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense as I do that, I've noticed the business will roughly double and double every year. And I don't do anything deliberately different to change that number. I've just noticed that when I focus on energy, alignment, and consciousness, and I don't emote based on it, I get better more and more unconditionally. Like, that's just the result. But also, I feel... With my circumstances and the way the universe has flowed with that steady, constant, stable alignment that's not based on any of those factors, that the universe has to reply with how I feel, which is positive, right? Because But it's just not coming from the circumstances. It's coming from my set point that I've chosen. But I feel truly unlimited. I don't have the business level that you have, but I feel unlimited right where I am. And that I think is what's propelling all of the doubling. But the other day, I was brushing my teeth. And then I was pondering. I love that what you said is so true. I I do the same. Now it's just a gentle pondering of what another number would be or what that next year could be. And I pondered it. And as I pondered, a number 10x, that number, dropped in my head out of the sky. And I was like, whoa, where did that come from? And I don't care if, when, or how that ever happens, but that number caused me to ponder, what would I be like emotionally? Because I already don't feel like, emoting based on it. But I did think like if I was at that frequency emotionally, not that I was like, Oh my god, it's this number. And I'm staying at that like crazy heightened state, which I refuse to feel anyways, I did think like, well, if I was at that income level, I wouldn't be stressed about taking photos of myself, which is something I don't love to do. Or I wouldn't be stressed about my skin, or I wouldn't be stressed about these little things that now had gotten me out of alignment. So what I did the other day was I spent a few weeks for like $700, you know, literally a little, little compared to this number that dropped in my head removing the subconscious blocks around the things that I thought I just simply wouldn't have at that level. So again, I don't care about that level being reached, but I love that it showed up in my head because it inspired me to let go of some garbage that was hanging around at this level that I was just like, oh, I wouldn't have that stuff. That's worth it to me to delete. And it wasn't even, again, about the number being any different. I don't know, and I think that I really resonate with the idea of pondering versus seeking. Yeah. I just feel curious
1: about it now. Like it's not a desperation. It's more just like, huh. And almost again, like I've doubled as well over the last six years, every year. And I'm like, hmm. like, I don't care if we don't next year, like, but it would be nice as well. So there's even a curiosity around that. It's like, oh, if I don't care, does that mean it won't happen? So it's just kind of an experiment really.
0: Okay. So let's talk about the house because that's a recent one that you had told in the story in your presentation. And that's the reason I loved what you said. I wanted to have you on the show. Can you tell that story?
1: Yes. So we had been looking for houses and I have been like buying the wrong house. I've bought several wrong houses basically. And that was because I wasn't being true to myself of where I really truly wanted to live, which was on the beach in this like richer area of town and I didn't think it was possible. But anyway, we, we actually went for a house visit on the street that we're building on and I remember looking at this house and it just felt like such a compromise because I, I didn't really want to live there and I was looking around it and I just got this really strong voice like, get out, like you do not, like just I couldn't wait to get out of the house. So we crossed the road and we we're standing outside this other house and I was like, what about this house? And Mark's goes, we'd never be able to afford it. Like, look at the view. It's incredible. Like, and I was like, let's just like think about it. And we did all our manifestation stuff again, you know, and we ended up buy- buying it, but we didn't have all the money for it and we had to do massive amounts of manifesting. But that's not the point of the story. That's As, as you know, that could be a whole hour pretty much talking about that again. Similar stuff to when we won the honeymoon testers competition. But where the real thing happened was, you know, we were about to go pick up the keys for this house. And it was such a stretch that I actually hadn't felt it until we were about to go pick up the keys. And that's when I started getting the shakes. You know, when you just like so in the flow, but then you do it and you go, what? How did I pull that off? And I just got the real wobbles around it. So we were driving to go pick up the keys to this new big house, which we're actually demolishing, putting a new house on it. And I said to Mark, oh, my God, we're going to have to just tighten our belt strings, you know, over the next year. Like, this house is so expensive and we're going to have so many bills. Like, let's just really rein it in. And I was just feeling the scarcity. And as I always say to people, it's like, you have to acclimatize to the air sometimes. And it's like I'd just been dropped on the top of a mountain and didn't have any training for that new air. And he just looked at me and he goes, that doesn't sound like you, because he's so used to me just going, we can do whatever. I said I know and I went there's always more money and at that moment as we were driving this like wad of $50 notes hit our car out of the blue as we were driving and no idea where it came from nothing but this like a thousand dollars worth of money hit our car
0: (laughs) just slapped
1: on your windshield at that exact moment yes at that literally as soon as I said there's always more money and we freaked out and like we both looked at each other and went did that just happen Like because we just thought, what? There's no way this has happened, and we saw the money like fly off our car. It was flying all around this highway, uh, all like in the gutter on the road, everything. And he's like, "Did we stop?" And there was nowhere to stop. Anyway, it was a really busy road, and I just I said to him like, "That's not the lesson. Like the lesson isn't for us to stop the car in a busy highway, risk our life for 50 bucks that we could find in a dirty gutter. Like that's it's not even our money. Like it's that's not even the point. The point is to." Don't believe that there is scarcity in the universe. There's always more money. And that's the truth in our business. There's always more clients. There's always more opportunities. There's always more competitions if we didn't win that one. You know, there's always more. And, you know, I love driving down that street. I've already driven down that street twice today because it's it's between us and town. And every time I'm just reminded of that lesson. It's the best anchor ever. I've just, oh, my God, stopped thinking so small. There's always more money. And I felt pretty much instantly better about that house. <laughs> I was, like, instantly acclimatized to that new air. It's not a metaphorical story. It literally happened with real money. And I have no idea to this day how that happened. But I just know that it was just the universe. It was just such a strong message. And I got it. I really got it.
0: I have heard other like one or two other stories that are kind of like that someone won the lottery exactly of the amount that their like debts were, and they said next time they're going to manifest more than their debt because <laughs> it wasn't worth just paying off the debt. Or someone else was walking down the street and they had an ATM started just spitting money out <laughs> right as <laughs> they were walking by. But when I heard yours, I was like, now I know someone personally that it happened to. A wad of cash just hit the dashboard, right? As you said, there's always more money. I hope to one day have something as fun and magical. Happen to me so I'll be able to say it personally but I love that what do you think you see with the people that you work with is the most helpful thing to let go of in terms of limiting beliefs and what's the best thing to incorporate in well there's two because I work with women
1: primarily and I work with women who have grown up mostly in kind of western societies right where this story of working really hard plays out again and again like money doesn't grow on trees you don't get something for nothing it doesn't flash on your windshield. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, yeah, well, I mean, how many times have you heard parents say, well, the money's not just going to fall from the sky and into your lap. So we have this collective story a lot in the Western world that, you know, busyness is a virtue that you have to work really hard or it doesn't count. So then I see women really rejecting obvious paths sometimes to cash flow in their business or their even their obvious purpose. They reject it because it seems too easy and obvious Or they sabotage it by refusing to outsource or delegate, or they procrastinate so they have to do things last minute, so then they fulfill the prophecy that you have to have blood, sweat, and tears in everything you do. So that's probably the biggest one. I see that for men as well, but the one then that really goes hand in hand with that for women is this belief that you can help people or make money, but you cannot do both. And that is so poisonous to women who we know in our networks, because a lot of us grew up on Oprah. We want to help people. We go into our businesses because we want to help people transform their lives in some way. And yet we can't receive money from it because it feels like we're either cheating or ripping people off or making money out of people's misery or whatever stories we have, or we feel like, you know, well, if we're being really nice and caring, then we shouldn't charge for this. And we shouldn't charge for the very thing that the universe has given us to do in the world. So when you can see that those two stories go hand in hand for women, It's like a really destructive combination because we have to work our guts out, but we're not allowed to receive any money for it.
0: You have two kids and you're pregnant with your third. So I'm going to ask you as a mother, as you were just saying that, and I was reflecting on where does this come from and why do you have this feeling that it's especially reflective of like a woman's experience? What do you think about, because you're literally birthing a child right now and you have two, do you think it comes perhaps from previous mothering experiences where the, the story or the mold that we've been shown as like being a great mother, therefore like being an aspect of being woman, obviously not everyone's a mother, but that there's this sacrifice that comes because your body is literally being captured by your child from there and then the breastfeeding and all these things. And then you are like physically drained for the next several years as the baby takes the resources from you. You make it sound so lovely. <laughs> and then you're pouring all of this. Well, I mean, I'm sure it's not, but I think that there's a story. This is what I'm sensing is that we tell the story of my mother did everything she could for me. She sacrificed everything. She was left with nothing so I could have everything. I love my mother. And it's like, well, the mother has to basically give herself up so that she can help this child. And then the child has to be therefore loving the mother. But does the mother get to ever love herself? No, and that's a story that plays out
1: even now. Like less in the entrepreneurial world, but you still see it everywhere, you know, covers of magazines of of successful women, but they always make sure they say, oh, but motherhood is like the best job in the world and, you know, I would never do anything. that takes me away from my kids. So the selfless mother thing is such an important story for so many of us, and that seeps in whether or not you've got kids, right, because it's just, you know, you should do this, and it happens all the time. Like I remember people asking me about Willow's birthday party. Oh, are you going to make a cake? And I was like, why? I don't know how to bake. Just like, no. And they're like, well, don't feel guilty about getting a store-bought one. I was like, I don't. (laughs) Like, why would I? So, yes, it's still around. Um, And then, of course, you know, that's where you see women who are a couple of decades older than us, they have it even worse because it's been drummed to them even more because they probably didn't even see their mum's work, let alone have any money of their own so we're we're kind of you know we're rewriting a lot of the rules and a lot of people will tell you that you're wrong or subtly infer that you're being selfish so for me and my kids like I tell them about my work I tell them how much I love my work I tell them how much I love helping people I tell them how much fun it is making my own money And I don't sit down and, like, do money lessons with them, but I'm just trying not to instill some of the stories that we have been told. And I try and make money quite a neutral topic, even to the point where I never say things like, you know, oh, I don't have any money. I'll say, oh, I don't have any coins on me, so you can't go on that ride. Because even that can bring up negativity. Or I never say, oh, don't touch that money's dirty. I say, hey, we don't put money in our mouth in our family. We take care of our money. Just little things like that because I don't want them to receive any negative messages at all about money.
0: Absolutely, I think one of the best things my childhood gave me was there was no conversation around money, which in a way was the best thing because there was literally nothing to adopt or not adopt based on any beliefs because there was nothing ever spoken about. So for better or worse, but I honestly, it gave me a blank slate to make my own decisions and my own stories as I found information that resonated for me. So I love this, niece. thank you so much. What would you tell anyone just starting out on this journey? I think when I was first starting on the journey,
1: I felt like I wasn't good enough or I wasn't smart enough or esoteric enough or whatever spiritual enough to receive the lessons of the law of attraction. And I thought I was the only one in the world like that was immune to it. (laughs) So, you know, give yourself – just let yourself – cut yourself some slack and just go, why not me? It does work for me and just step forward a little bit in faith and, you know, Little manifestations will bring you more faith and more faith, but never think that you're the only person that it doesn't work
0: for. Absolutely. And one of the things I took away from your story is that when it was, whether it was coming from the competition in the universe or whether it was coming through your husband's income at the time or now, what you've always shown that I think has been very steady is your deserving and worthiness of it. And I think that that stability within that is probably the biggest thing that I notice as a theme from what you shared that separates the energy you have around money to having it or not having it. Does that ring true? It does.
1: And my, one of my money mentors, Kendall Summerhawk, she talks about that a lot. She says, women compartmentalize money. We say, this is real and this is not real. And what I now teach, like even in my money boot camp, and I'll say all money is money. So we have to, you know, don't discount. Some people go, well, PayPal money, that's just play money. That's not real money. And women are constantly kind of pushing away various sources and rejecting it like, well, you're not real and you're not real. And it's only real if it comes from this source. So if you can just get into a space of all money is money, and I appreciate every cent of it, even if it's like a dime that I find on the streets, then you will find that you'll start to naturally attract more.
0: I love that. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Jess. Thanks, everybody. And there you have it. Denise, thank you so much for coming on the show. And thank you for listening. If you want to send Denise a message, you can do so over on Instagram at Denise D. T, D is in dog, T is in Thomas. And if you want to find me over on Instagram, Snapchat, or Twitter, you can find me at Jess C, as in cash hitting the car window, Lively. And for show notes for this episode, you can find them over at com slash Denise Duffield Thomas. And now for what I'm up to next, again, still working on the secret project, working with a team member in Great Britain about this and doing other things here based on the Sydney side of things as well. And on the home front, things are really, really coming together in a great way. I am now looking to manifest some awesome armchairs for the living room and potentially a painting for the entryway. Until next week, may something wonderful happen to you today.